0: Hey there, everybody. Welcome back in to the Nature Reliance Media Podcast. I'm your host today, Craig Cottle. Had a wild, wild couple of weeks. I love tracking, and I love helping others become beginner trackers. So, taught a little tracking class down in South Carolina, then taught a search and rescue team for a day here in Kentucky, and then traveled to Utah and taught a tracking class. Out there as well. Both the trips out of state were for Fieldcraft Survival, and it was a pleasure working with those guys and getting to go to headquarters of Fieldcraft Survival and learn more about how they do things and meeting everybody and all that kind of good stuff. It was was a fantastic trip to Utah. But because I was there for a while, for those that are regular listeners of the podcast, you know what happened. (laughs) I had to ask about some local history. I was very pleased to find one of the fieldcraft personnel that probably was into local history there as much as I am into local history here. He shared a story with me, and I'm going to share that story with you today. It's about one of the mountains that stand tall right behind the headquarters of Fieldcraft Survival in Heber City, Utah. Me, being from Kentucky, I had never been to that part of the world, and so it was quite eye-opening to be able to travel to an area that had big, large mountains, things that I had not seen other than from an airplane until this time in my life. So I love Kentucky Hills, and nothing will ever change that. And this is my home, and I love it more than any place in the world. But I also love training and seeing other people, other places, and learning about local history and just seeing things that are different. It was quite a good trip, and I love this story. Now, my understanding of this story is that, like many stories that are old, it has a lot of change added to it, and it's one of those stories that's been told around campfires for many, many years, at least since the early 1900s. Because of that, there's several different versions of it. But what I discovered after getting home and doing my own research into the story that I was told at Fieldcraft Headquarters, and and again, many thanks to the folks there for sharing information with me, I mean, as soon as I asked something about local history, the guy at Fieldcraft that is like the local history buff like I am was like, yeah, come here, let me talk to you for a minute. <laughs> it, was, it was kind of funny. I really enjoyed it. But but uh, he, he, again, he told me this story, a really brief condensed version of it. More research has led me to tell you the story about the Tempanogos natives and Tempanogos Mountain, which is what stands behind Fieldcraft's. Uh, my understanding is that there was a history professor that put this story together. His name was Eugene Temp Roberts, Temp being his nickname. And he evidently told this to his university class somewhere there in Utah. Uh, this is a public story. I mean, I'm going to read from it. It's a great story. He's put it together really well. And uh, I'm going to share from him. I'll have a link in the description of the podcast so that you can find this and other stories and even some other local links. Here we go. Timpanogos was angry. The mountain god shook the hills and the valleys with the power of his passion. All living things sculpted into secret places and waited. Timpanogos cursed the streams until they bore no fish and his people were starving at his feet. Not even the medicine men could discern the cause of his mood, but with dark ceremony did they seek to appease him. For many days and nights they did call to him for mercy. They beat their heads and raw head thongs until the blood coursed over their brown bodies but without avail. Timonogos demanded that the last measure of the tribe's contrition ye earned the sacrificial maiden. With the doleful beating of tom toms the priests moved among the people calling them to the dance of sacrifice, and tribesmen dragged all the young women and their fair girls before the sacred altar, that the angry god might choose his victim. Now among the women was the daughter of the chief and the best beloved and most beautiful of all the maidens. Because she was as beautiful as the evening sunset and as lovable as the warmth of early spring, the red men feared that the mountain god would covet her. Twice before they watched her take her turn in drawing the dreaded lot, each time they saw her come forth safe while one of her sisters was chosen. Once more her people stood in terror with the breath baited while Utana approached the funeral pyre and blindfolded, reached for one of the sacred stones. As her shapely hand encircled an oval flint and drew it forth, a murmur arose throughout the assembled tribes. Alas! The touch of Tempanogos was upon the stone. The fingerprint of the god was deep laid in its adamant surface. The chief and all his household fell upon the earth and buried their faces in the rocky soil. And they groveled in despair, while the men and the women of the tribe streaked their bodies with white clay and dance the dance of death around sobbing Utana. Now, let me take a break here and kind of break this down and Craig Cottle speak. Good storyteller here and the way he's put this together to make it sound more native, if you will, supposedly the story, and there's several different variations of this particular story, as I stated earlier, is that they were in the middle of a drought. They were having a very serious problem finding resources to maintain their viability as a species of human on this mountain. To me, looking at the mountain, it looks very inhospitable. It's pretty steep. It's I think it was about 11,000 feet where uh, a good portion of this event happens that I'm getting ready to tell. What they did when they wanted to appease their god, if you will, was they had these stones in a, in a container and they would stick their hand in there. I don't know if you could tell what was being said here. They would stick their hand in there, the, the virgins would. And when they would come out, there was one black stone that was an indicator that that was the person that they were going to sacrifice. And so that's what has happened. The chief's daughter, who everybody loved and appreciated, she's the one that came out with the black stone. So now she's the one that they're going to sacrifice. Carrying on. Four stalwart braves, anointed with human blood, led Utana from the multitude toward the threshold of Timpanogos. They took her to the portals of the canyon entrance from which gushed the stream which bathed the feet of Timpanogos. Here, with the solemn words, they left her, for none but she might tread the sacred ground. Somewhere among the vast amphitheaters near the crest of the mountain brooded the great spirit. She must find him alone. Utana struggled along the trailless mountainside until she reached a wild stream tearing its way southward through a narrow fork of the canyon. Along the stream and toward the mountain top, she took her away until the canyon road widened into an upland valley. She was startled to see blue smoke curling its way skyward through the aspens and to hear the chant of numerous voices. Peering between the trees, Utana saw a tribe of red men dancing a dance of joy before their teepees. How dare these people tread the sacred ground of Tiponogos? Were they mortal or spirits? What should she do? Would they destroy her before she had saved her tribesmen? With these queries in her troubled brain, Utana skirted the village, creeping behind the wild rose and mountain berry, when safely beyond the strange people she ran along the banks of the stream like a frightened fawn. Utana heard not the soft tread of brown moccasin feet behind her as she ran. Stealing through the underbrush was Red Eagle, an Indian brave of the strange tribe and the son of its chief, who, returning from a bear hunt, had spied the creeping maiden as she stole past his people. Red Eagle tracked the fleeing girl along the banks of the stream until the canyon once more broadened into a beautiful mountain valley forested with the pine and the aspen. Here she turned to the left and started straight for the peaks of Timbinogos. Beside a roaring cataract, Utana rested and Red Eagle too paused behind the wild oak bushes. Next he followed her up the steep sides of the slanting ledges then through deep flower beds and under spraying waterfalls until at last she reached the floor of a broad amphitheater carpeted with flower beds studded with emerald ponds and walled with giant cliffs. Here she paused in terror and Red Eagle too felt himself in the presence of mystic powers. He wanted to spring to Utana's side for the strange maiden had gripped his heart and he was half afraid both for her and himself. Then Atana, with an effort at courage, once more began her journey. She hurried over small hills and through tiny valleys to the feet of the deep glacier, winding its way from the mountain crest and ending in a beautiful lake. Along the surface of this river of ice, she climbed while Red Eagle followed, concealing himself in crevasses when she paused for breath. After reaching the rim, Utana saw the great valley at her feet. Way in the distance, she saw the smoke rising from her village, and she thought she heard the moaning and pleading of her people. Taking new courage from the thought of her great sacrifice, she sped along the narrow rim of the mountain until she reached the topmost peak. Here the cliffs fell away thousands of feet and she felt the cool breath of the mountain god on her cheeks. Into the depths she peered and trembled. When Red Eagle scaled the peak, the girl was standing upon the brink of the precipice, chanting a ceremony of appeal and sacrifice and preparing to leap into space. From her sobbing chant, he gathered the import of her journey. The purpose of her sacrifice, just as Yutana Zutana, was making ready to leap into the mystic arms of Tiponogos and fulfill her fate with her life, Red Eagle spoke softly to her. She turned in superstitious terror, threw herself at his feet. In broken, half-audible expression, she pleaded with him to receive the pleadings of her people and to accept her as the wanted sacrifice. Red Eagle understood and was tempted. Impulse and the newborn passion determined his deception. He bade her rise and follow him. Back down the rim of the mountain, they went in silence. Red Eagle was torn with fears, and yet he was led by the love of his beautiful maiden. He knew not tiponogos Neither did he fear this strange god, but withal he was pretending to be divine, and that was sacrilegious. Silently he brooded as he picked a path down the mountainside. Silently he planned. He must possess the maiden. And yet if she knew him to be mortal, she would carry out her sacrifice. He must not return to his people, or she would learn the truth and destroy herself. Turning away from the direction of their ascent, Red Eagle broke into a new and wild country to the north, while Wandering Maiden followed in quiet. Down the sides of the unknown hills they went until their path led them among giant ledges. He must go forth in confidence, or she would learn the truth. And yet he knew not where to go. Along a narrow terrace he led Utana until they came upon the forbidding face of a dark cliff. Red Eagle trembled for his path was blocked. A low growl from the thick berry bushes upon the terrace roused Red Eagle out of his stupor of fear and indecision, and as he sprang in the direction of the growl he saw a bear loping hurriedly away from the mouth of the cave. Into the cave Red Eagle walked and was thrilled to see a large enclosure walked with myriads of glistening rock icicles and floored with mystic altars deep-colored in sacred red once more the deceiving indian was tempted and turning to the awe-stricken maiden he bade her enter and told her that her sacrifice was accepted her people would be blessed and that she would reside with him in the crystal palace forever utana's heart leaped for joy this then was the human sacrifice to be the bride of Tipanogos and to live with him in his wondrous palace was the price she would pay for her people's blessings Why was the truth not known? Why should her tribesmen mourn her loss, and all the fair maidens dread the fatal selection? For many moons did Red Eagle and Utana reside with the brilliant cave, and their happiness was truly godlike. When the storms would break upon the mountain's tops and the lightning would tear across the sky, Utana would search the face of Red Eagle to ascertain the cause of his mood, and Red Eagle would feign anger and would brood in silence until the storm was over. When the days were calm and beautiful and the flowers sent forth their delightful fragrance, Red Eagle was sport about the cliffs and flower beds with the tana in her arms. And all the world was joy. He brought her fresh-killed deer and the berries from dangerous heights. She prepared him meat for the campfire and she awed that he would like her. She was delighted and surprised, too, that he could thrill, like her, at human love and passion. But with all this, he was all-powerful. He controlled the storms. He feared not the wild beast. He went forth without weapons and brought back fresh-killed meat. But alas, her dream was doomed to end, as all dreams must end, that are all built upon deception. One day the low growl of the grizzly was once more heard as the bear sought its favorite lair. Red eagle sprang behind the wild rose and returned with bow and arrow. He attacked the angry beast, but was wounded before he could drive it away. For days, the sad Utana nursed her wounded lover, and in the ravings of his fever she learned the truth. Loyal to him, even at the risk of incurring the displeasure of her god, she nursed him back to health and prepared in secret for her great duty. One day, when Red Eagle returned to the cave, he found it empty and Utana gone. With gripping fear in his heart, he set out for the heights of Tiponogos. When he reached the giant amphitheater at the foot of the glacier, he saw a tiny form perched upon the highest peak, and leaning towards the yawning deaths, his wild call was lost in the distance. Suddenly the figure raised its arms in supplication and then Red Eagle saw the body of his beloved hurtling through space falling from the ledge to ledge until the drop a mangled mass at his feet. For a moment he shrank away from what was once his beloved bride. Then he raised the bleeding form of his bride to his arms and tread slowly and solemnly back to their crystal cave. In one of the hidden chambers Red Eagle and Utana laid her there beside a mirroring pond and brooded over her in silence till his lifeless body sank beside her. Then the great god, Tepanogos, did a wondrous thing. Up from the bodies of his children he commanded their bleeding hearts to rise and merge into one. And over the lifeless bodies rose a great heart and fastened itself to the brilliant cave ceiling. This great heart hangs to this day over the sacred place in the burial chamber of Red Eagle and Utana. So check it out, you all. Uh, I'll have a blog attached to this particular podcast, and it'll have some photos that I took of Tempanogos when I was there. hope you enjoy that. And I've got some other photos that I have uh, secured from a website that the images are free. You can take these images. So it's uh, pretty cool that I can share those with you. I hope you like these stories. More than anything else, when I hear stories like this, I try to obviously get the message from them, what kind of messages are there. You know, Some of these things may very well be true from history. Some of them may be legendary or myth stories to learn lessons as Native American people were really good at telling stories to remember a history or to remember a time or to remember some sort of situation. I've got a couple of books and if I can find them, I'll have links for them in the podcast as well. That way you have some resources for you if you like hearing Native American storytelling. And then whenever you get a chance, for example, like at Nature Reliance School classes, it's pretty common that Jay Keaton, who owns the land where we do our stuff in Kentucky, he's a a history representative for the Piqua Shawnee from Ohio. And he'll tell a story every now and then. And he is a fantastic storyteller, in my estimation. So join us at a Nature Reliance School class. Obviously, you may hear one of those stories. If not, you'll hear one of the stories from somebody else, because we like telling stuff like that around the campfire. But nevertheless, the big thing to get out of these things, even when these stories are fiction, is what kind of lesson is to be learned there. It may be something to you and it may be something different to somebody else. So I hope you enjoyed it and look forward to having you join us as we move forward into Nature Alliance Media Future. As always, with Nature Alliance School, come on, join in. Let's learn together.